Undeceptions podcast. Small Wonders with Laurel Moffat. A shipwreck off the coast of Argentina has been in the news lately. Not a recent one, mind you. One from the mid-19th century. And it hasn't even recently been discovered. It's been lying off the coast of Patagonia for almost 200 years, but only visible at low tide for around 20. The shipwreck itself isn't the newsworthy thing, nor is its cargo. There's no hidden treasure, no lost fortune. The thing that's finally been found after years of questions and theories is its name, its identity. In 1858, the whaling ship the Dolphin left Rhode Island on its last voyage. The ship never made it back to port. The 42-member crew was rescued a year later in the South Atlantic Ocean. They were all saved, but the dolphin was gone, alive only in the memory of the crew and the records of its voyages. And then, in 2004, a shipwreck was discovered off the coast of a city in Argentina. The silt that had swallowed the ship near the coast began to shift until eventually the ribs and spine of a timber ship wrecked long ago were revealed. The question of whether or not it was the long-lost dolphin was raised then, but there was no way of knowing, until recently. The identity of the shipwreck was discovered by looking at its fingerprints. Of course, ships don't have actual fingerprints, but the timber out of which a ship is made does. Its fingerprints are made by the tree rings visible in the timber planks of the ship. I'll get to how scientists were able to connect the pattern of tree rings and timber to the records of a ship lost at sea. But first, a wooden harp made by Antonio Stradivari and the story of some other tree rings. For years, people have wondered over how Stradivari was able to make instruments that sound so superior to any other. It's thought that he made over a thousand instruments in his lifetime. Roughly 650 of them are known to exist today. How did he learn how to make something of a quality so rare that just one of his instruments can fetch a price of $15 million US at auction? which is exactly what happened not too long ago.
There are questions over the type of timber used, whether it was soaked in minerals first, questions of the identity of his mentor, how he learned what he did so well, as well as the provenance of the wood used. There is much that will never be known, can never be known. But there is some that can be learned, and what can be learned has been told by the smallest voices, the smallest marks. As with the shipwreck of the dolphin, it's the timber's tree rings that tell the story. And what is a tree ring? A single ring represents one year of a tree's life. Each ring marks a birthday. Happy birthday, tree. Happy birthday again and again. What looks like one ring is actually two. One is made of early wood and one made of late wood. Early wood forms in the high days of spring and early summer, when the sun's warmth is waxing, when there's plenty of water and the temperature is friendly for growth, when all seems to be going right in the world, at least for a tree. These are days of easy growing. As summer wanes and the days grow shorter into autumn and eventually winter, the tree still grows, but its growth is slower. This is growth that is eked out in shorter, colder, drier days. This is when the late wood forms. The thin, darker ring rounds off a yearly growth ring. Early wood is more porous. Late wood has more strength. But both are good for the life of the tree. The early wood keeps the tree growing. And the late wood makes it strong as it grows. And it's the pattern of those rings and their relation to one another that makes their unique fingerprint revealing the age, origin, species, and the condition of the environment of the tree. And a tree makes a very precise record of its environment and its growth within it. The North American Drought Atlas is a record of 835 tree ring chronologies that spans the history of the past 2,000 years. 835 tree ring stories are told in this atlas, representing the growing conditions and climatic events of North America for over two millennia. It's this atlas that was used in determining the provenance of the timber from the shipwreck and discovering it as the dolphin, which had been wrecked and lost so many years before. The record is so precise that from the North American Drought Atlas, it reveals the type of timber, its age down to the year, even which forest it was from in North America. And from all this data, researchers were able to discover that it was the dolphin, which had been wrecked and lost so many years before. And likewise, the tree rings visible on the timber of a harp made by Stradivari 
make such a precise pattern that when researchers searched a similar data set, but one made up of European musical instruments rather than North American trees, its twin was found. Out of a group of over 600 other instruments from the same era, researchers discovered its match in the spruce soundboard of a cello made by Nicola Amati in 1679. The significance is this. Amati is believed to be Stradivari's mentor. And while the matching timbers do not prove this relationship, they do add another line of connection between them. Matching fingerprints of early wood and late, tight concentric rings, the pattern of which reveals itself to be from a spruce tree, most likely sourced from the Italian Alps. When trees have it easy for longer, perhaps even years of easy growth, the lighter color of the early wood is thicker and the wood is less dense. But in the years when growing is more difficult, in dry places, or places where the sunlight is harder to come by, as is the case in old growth forests, the dark, late wood rings lie closer together. The rings are thinner. The growth is slower. The years are layered one after another with no thick spans of early wood. The early wood is there, but it's slim, and even that is hard won. These tight rings of minimal early wood make the tree very dense and strong strong enough for a 19th century whaling ship. And when that wood is spruce and the tree grows straight and tall with rings evenly concentric, it makes a tree resonant enough to be what some luthiers call a singer. If a tree didn't have times of plenty and then times of want, if there were no lean days and months or even years, there'd be no distinction in the rings. They'd just all be early wood bleeding into early wood with no distinction, no borders, no edges, no difference, no markers, no limits, no meaning. It's the days of lean, slow growth when neither light nor food comes easily that offer the definition of the rings, the darker edging of the years the harsher line by which you can measure the life of the tree. Easy times and hard, good times and bad, both will come, both do, and both are needed to give the tree its unique fingerprint and to make it what it is. And it's those harder times of growth, the leaner months or years, that creates a tree's fingerprint, making it possible to find out the name of a shipwreck, to reveal an identity and uncover the truth. And it's the consistent growth of the tree in an environment that is consistently difficult that then creates the timber with so much resonance that it can become an instrument able to sound a note of such beauty it becomes priceless. 
I wonder if it's this kind of growth that the Apostle Paul had in mind when he penned his letter to some early Christians in Rome. Is this the glory hidden in suffering? As he writes, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Shipwrecks and harps, tree rings and glory and hope. All tenuous links, I know, but they are a taste of hope in hard times, that there is no hard time that isn't seen or measured, that isn't known, nor any that can't be turned into something strong and lasting by God, that can't be crafted into a singer of a beautiful song. Deceptions Podcast.